Hello, you're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Thank you for joining us once more on this episode of Let the Bible Speak. I want to begin today by reading some words of Scripture. Again, our program is entitled Let the Bible Speak. And so even on a day like this one, we'll do something a little different. Yet still, I want the Bible to be at the very forefront of our minds. And in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And the verse number four in these verses, Paul presents the gospel, the gospel that he received from the Lord and the gospel that he then delivered unto the believers in Corinth. He preached the truth of Christ and him crucified. And today, as we think about the Lord's word, I do want to take the opportunity as this month draws to a close to consider again this week the subject of the Protestant Reformation. The last time we were together, we thought a little bit about the great Scottish reformer, John Knox. Now, of course, the Reformation is so often dated to the end of October in 1517 with the actions of Martin Luther in Wittenberg. And certainly Luther's actions were monumental, monumental in Germany, but also had great ramifications in other parts of Europe and so last time we thought about Scotland and we thought about the work of John Knox and how important his work indeed was in human history in the even the beginning of this nation but today I want to go south of the Scottish border and consider what God did in England and in particular in and through the life of a man named Hugh Latimer 16th of October 1555 marked the death of Latimer and he was burned at the stake in Oxford, England in the company of Bishop Ridley. Latimer is perhaps most famous for the words he is recorded as having spoken at the stake where he said, Be of good comfort, Brother Ridley, and play the man. And we shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust never shall be put out. Those were Latimer's famous words of great courage and comfort uh, to his brother in the Lord in the time of their greatest peril. The Reformation in England, I would argue, owes much more under God to Hugh Latimer than it does to King Henry VIII. Again, historically, many people have looked to Henry as the one that brings about uh, the Reformation. But Henry's motives for leaving the Roman Catholic Church were less than honourable, whereas Latimer leads us in an important direction, 
because he was a man that understood the doctrines of the Reformation. He understood the gospel. His conversion itself was really quite remarkable. He was born in 1585 to a farmer. Now, a farmer who had a, a reasonable farm, 100 sheep and 30 cows in, in those days, uh, not a particularly small farm. His birthplace was just 12 miles from a place called Lutterworth. And Latimer was sheltered from the heretics and raised as a staunch Roman Catholic. Now you will appreciate when I say heretics, I'm referring to those so-called heretics who were known as the Protestants. He studied at Cambridge and was made to be a Bachelor of Divinity. Again, really quite remarkable, uh, given his upbringing. It was customary to that prior to the degree being conferred, that the student was to give an oration. And you get a flavour of Latimer when you learn that the subject of his oration was against Philip Melanchthon and his opinions. Of course, Melanchthon being the friend and follower of Martin Luther. It's interesting that to have given such an oration meant that Latimer had understanding of what Luther's friend taught. Yet knowing the gospel at that time did not result in saving faith. What happened next is one of God's great interventions in the life of a sinner. One person listening to the oration was a man named Thomas Bilney. He had studied the word and he had come to find faith in Christ alone. Bilney listened and prayed for wisdom. And subsequently he made contact with Latimer and asked that Latimer would hear his confession. Latimer thought that the heretic was asking for the Catholic to hear his confession and he was thrilled. He didn't bargain as to the nature of the confession for it was not a confession of sin but a confession of faith. Bilney spoke of his anguish regarding his sin, the sense of guilt and a defiled conscience. He spoke of all of his attempts to resolve that anguish and they were profitless as long as he followed the precepts of the church. As long as he followed penance and mass and such things, he could not find any respite for his anguish. He spoke of reading the Greek New Testament recently compiled by Erasmus. And then through that, through the word of God, he found peace in Christ and in Christ alone. All oh, as Bilney finished his confession, he spoke tenderly of the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He exalted his Saviour, he exalted the Christ of God for his work that was finished and complete. Latimer would testify that he learned more by building his confession than before in many years. And even through that, Latimer himself came to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. And the converted man Latimer was now used of God to advance the cause of truth. We are told that he was a man of energy and eloquence. God does delight to gift individuals differently to advance his cause. And in the case of the English Reformation, there were three men that rise to prominence. Thomas Cranmer, Nicholas Ridley and Mr Latimer. The former two men made their main contribution through the reform of doctrine and liturgy. Latimer, however, was used as a powerful and popular preacher. He was used to deliver the word of God clearly to the masses. It has been said 
by one few probably have ever addressed an English congregation with more effect than he did. No doubt his sermons now extant would not suit modern taste. They contain many quaint, odd and coarse things. They are very familiar, rambling and discursive and often full of gossiping stories. But after all, we are poor judges in these days of what a sermon ought to be. A modern sermon is too often a dull, tame, pointless religious essay, full of measured round sentences, done sown in English, bald platitudes, timid statements, and elaborately concocted milk and water. It is a laden sword without either point or edge, a heavy weapon and little likely to do much execution. But if a combination of sound gospel doctrine, plain Saxon language, boldness, liveliness, directness and simplicity can make a preacher, few, I suspect, have ever equaled old Latimer. Those are the words of Bishop J.C. Ryle of Liverpool. See, Latimer is renowned for a series of sermons preached before the boy King Edward VI. He rebuked corruption in high places and pointed out the duties of the king. He is said to have said to Edward, Beware, beware, ye diminish not this office, for if ye do, ye decay God's power to all that do believe. Edward was a believer in Christ, and Latimer is exhorting this boy king to be faithful in his office, to ensure the blessing of God upon all that believe. And so we see in his calling, Latimer becomes a very faithful man of God. And as such, it was his deep conviction to preach the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. He wanted to preach that Christ paid it all, that Christ's work was finished. And he preached that particularly in respect to the Mass. If Christ's work is complete, then there is no need for the Mass, no call for the Mass. Merle Dubigny, the historian of the Reformation, speaking of Latimer's conversion, said, Thus began in British Christendom the preaching of the cross. The Reformation was not the substitution of the Catholicism of the First Ages for the Pope of the Middle Ages. It was a revival of the preaching of St. Paul. And thus it was that on hearing Latimer, everyone exclaimed with rapture, Of a soul God has made him a very Paul. And so when we think of the story of the Reformation in England, we, we must look to Latimer and we must see his influence in establishing the preaching of the cross. And you see, the Reformation is rightly looked on as the time that the doctrine of justification by faith alone was rediscovered. That was the great tenant of Luther's preaching in the language of Paul and Habakkuk in, in, in the scriptures, the just shall live by faith, not by works of penance, not works of church worship, but faith and faith alone. And through faith alone we become right with God. Our sins are forgiven and we receive a righteousness not our own. But the discovery of justification was in the context of the sacrifice of Christ. Where does saving faith rest? Where does saving faith go? Well, it goes to the cross of Christ. You think of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which 
also ye are saved. You see how clear that is? It is the gospel preached that is the means whereby sinners come to faith. And faith is found in Christ. It's found in the person and work of the Lord Jesus. The gospel preached was the gospel according to that passage. The gospel of Christ dying for our sins according to the scriptures. Being buried and then rising again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. You see the gospel is not primarily an experience. It's not primarily about how you might feel. The church today in many ways is caught up with the issue of feelings. I want the gospel to make me feel happy. And and it does. I want the gospel to deal with my troubles. And it does. And yet we still find ourselves. We find ourselves in this world with much tribulation. And so those who believe the gospel, they know joy and they know peace. But these deep-seated spiritual graces are not without the troubles of this world. And so we must understand the gospel Though it does affect us, primarily the gospel is about something. It's good news about historical events, events defined by Paul. You see, the gospel is God stepping into history and working in such a way that through his son, he accomplishes redemption from multitudes that no man can number. The gospel is about historical events, events that are verifiable. Not not about subjective emotions. We cannot say that you can take the gospel or leave the gospel. We cannot say to someone, you may want the gospel because it will help you in some way, but you can still reject the gospel. No, we present the gospel as truth because the events are true. And the gospel for Paul and for the reformers centered upon the cross and the truthfulness of the events on the cross. And to that end, I I read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that the gospel, the gospel that Paul preached is the gospel that said that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And so note, first of all, just for a few moments, as this program will draw to a close, uh, please note that Christ's death was predicted. Paul tells the Corinthians that the gospel was about Christ dying according to the scriptures. He's referring there to the Old Testament scriptures, the revelation of God given to his people to guide them, to direct them, to reveal himself to them. The scriptures that Christ himself referred to on the road to Emmaus, dealing with the disciples. And Jesus tells the disciples that Christ had to suffer these things and to enter into his glory. The Lord puts it in the question, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Christ showed his disciples from the Old Testament that his life and death was indeed predicted in the Old Testament. You see, when Paul then preaches, and he preaches an important message to, to Festus, uh, one of the, 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 the authorities, and he's opening up the gospel. He said that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he says that, he's making the point that Paul in his preaching says 
says, says nothing else other than those things which the prophets and Moses did say should come. That Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead. In other words, it is clear in the New Testament that the events concerning Jesus were events that were predicted in the Old Testament. The scriptures as they're known in the New Testament. And you think throughout the scriptures there are so many signposts, directions given to us in the road of our understanding. That as we walk along the path to understanding the gospel, we come to these signposts. We think of Abel's sacrifice that was pleasing to God, even going back a step and the the coverings, the sacrificing of an animal to cover the shame of Adam and Eve. You think of Noah's sacrifice. You think of the offering of, of Isaac. You think of the millions of beasts that were slain on Jewish altars. All of these things pointing to the truth that acceptance with God is only by way of the sacrifice of the substitute. That Christ's death was not accidental and it certainly was not because God had lost control. It's not easy for us to to grasp and fully understand. But the Lord was in control of the death of Jesus Christ. That's, That's made very clear to us in the early chapters of Acts. For whenever it comes to the death Pentecost in Peter's sermon, he refers to Jesus being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Now, he says that those who took the Lord and crucified the Lord, they did so by wicked hands. But their actions were in the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. God was in control of the entire situation. Indeed, later on, when the disciples pray together, They pray about the kings of the earth standing against the Lord and against his Christ. And he speaks about the authorities, Herod and Pilate. He speaks of the Gentiles and the Israelites and they all gather together. But they gather together to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determine before to be done. So though the actors were guilty of sin, yet their actions were under the very control of God. And we're reminded again that Christ's death was predicted in the Old Testament. And therefore we know that his death was part of God's purpose. And I tell you, dear listener today, I remind you that the only way to know peace with God is through Christ's work on the cross. For on the cross, we understand the price was paid in full for all that trust in him. And so Christ's death, it was predicted Secondly, Christ's death was prerequisite. In other words, it was necessary. We're told Christ died. That's a statement of historical fact. Christ died. The event happened. Well, I'd like to suggest to you that that fact must direct our minds to the truth of the necessity of Christ's death. Why do I say that? Well, consider the various doctrines revealed in Scripture. Assumptions Assumptions which I can't prove right now, but I put before you. First of all, the assumption that Jesus is God's Son. John 10, verse number 30, I and my Father are one, says the Lord. And similarly, the Father is revealed to love the Son. Jesus, God's Son, the Father loves his Son. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. But as we see the love the Father has for the Son... We also must understand and reckon with the fact that God the Father is sovereign over all things. 
Uh, Psalm 115 tells us, Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Or Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11, That God worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Daniel 4 would tell us that none can stay God's hand or say unto him, What doest thou? God is sovereign. Therefore, if the death of Christ happened, and it did, it must have happened out of necessity in the plan and purpose of God. There was nothing that made Christ die that could have been outside the sovereign purpose and will of God. The death of Christ was not God's plan B. It was only his perfect plan A. His love for the Son was such that if there had been any other way to save his people, he would have done so. And if there's any other way for you to be saved, you can do it, but there's not. There's no other way but through the cross of Christ. Why do you waste your time seeking for alternative ways to find peace with God? The only way to know peace with God and peace of conscience is by trusting in Christ's work on the cross, his blood shed that you might know cleansing from all of your sins. If you could have some alternative, do you not think that God would have thought of those things already? Anything that would have prevented the death of his son? But rather, rather gladly, and I do say, because it pleased the Lord to bruise him, gladly the Father sent his Son into the world. And the Lord came into the world willingly. And he came into this world full of sin and misery and turmoil. And yet he lived a life of perfect obedience. He was obedient unto death, the death of the cross. And he died upon that cross to secure our salvation, that all who put their trust in him can indeed know this perfect peace with God. And so Christ's death was indeed necessary. And finally, just very briefly, Christ's death was purposeful. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and this is the message that Latimer preached, the preaching of the cross. He understood that he as a believer must preach the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. And so Latimer could easily have taken these words, Christ died for our sins. Here we see the purpose of Christ's death. He was sinless, holy, harmless, undefiled. Christ could not sin and he did no sin. He is the one, therefore, who comes as a substitute. He does not die for his own sins. He comes and pays the price for the sins of others. He comes to make sacrifice unto God. He is the perfect sinless substitute who bears our sins, is made a curse for us. And as one made a curse for us, he redeems us from the curse of the law. You can read all about that in Galatians chapter 3. You can read how that God indeed made Christ a curse for us, that we indeed might be blessed of God. What a thing it is. Christ's death came and it happened very deliberately to secure the plan of God to save a people from all their sins. You know, the Father, he made it very clear from the beginning as he tells uh, Mary and Joseph to call their son Jesus. And the name was given because he would save his people from their sins. Jesus, that Old Testament name for Savior, it speaks of the Lord coming to save us from our sins. What a salvation we have. And part of the way in which Christ saves us from our sins is by going all the way to the cross dying for our sins according to the scriptures oh what a saviour that he died for me 
from condemnation is set me free. All that believeth in the Son, saith he, hath everlasting life. Oh, this time of the year, it's a very important time. We can think about the importance of the great doctrines of the gospel. The Protestant Reformation rediscovered in the 16th century, brought to light again across the world, the just shall live by faith, because the death of Christ provided for sin's cancellation and ensured that believers could indeed be made right with God. And so I stand upon the shoulders of giants, giants like Hugh Latimer, who as a converted man understood the need to make Christ known. And I seek to make Christ known to you today. And I encourage you, if God has spoken to your heart, and if you realize that you have a sin problem, if you know you're guilty before God and your conscience is defiled, I point you to the Saviour. Like John the Baptist of old, I point you to the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. May God be pleased to use his word. May it be a blessing to your heart and your soul today. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. Again, if you're a believer, I'm going to pray that you'll be encouraged to make Christ known in a fallen world. And if you're an unbeliever, I'm going to pray that God would open your heart. Open your heart to receive the truth of the gospel. The gospel that is true, absolute truth. May God use it in all of your hearts today. Let's all bow together in prayer. And we come, of course, we come to pray in Christ's name. Because as he died and as he lives, he's ascended to the Father. And he's making intercession for us even now. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the life of Hugh Latimer. A mighty preacher of the gospel. A mighty man of God, saved from his sins. We thank you, Lord. The gospel is indeed the power of God unto salvation. And I pray, O Lord, today... Uh, for those who are listening, or perhaps some on their the right of Christ without a Saviour, open their eyes to understand the majesty of the gospel. Cause them to see the sufficiency of Christ's work, that there is no other way, no other Saviour, no other way to have peace with God. And for your children, those who listen, bless the word to their hearts. And may we all, may we all know your grace, helping us to make Christ known in this fallen world in the midst of all of its sins. Bless us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.